The fourth pick in the 2020 NBA draft goes to the Chicago Bulls. We know that uh, moving up from seven to four, it was a huge deal for our organization and for the city of Chicago and the fans of the Chicago Bulls. You know, a lot of opinions and then minimize the noise and uh, pick the player that, uh, you know, best available on the board. So that's going to be the strategy. Thank you for joining me every Sunday morning at 11 here on 88.7 FM WLUW. Got an hour uninterrupted of your favorite small town kid. Go to the Loyola Phoenix, Nick Schultz. I know Sister Jean pretty well. I think he's the sports editor there. He is. Right? He's a sports he's editor. Yeah. Sports good, columnist, sports writer. And, uh, and there's a, there's... I'd be lying if I said I wasn't watching baseball in class. Nick Schultz, who is a, a rising star in the profession. Our guy, Nick Schultz, covers... Loyola for the student newspaper there, the Loyola Phoenix. I have to keep pinching myself and <laughs> asking if this is real. I cannot believe this is happening. I'm a poor, starving college student, so I would say I was physically here, but I wouldn't say I was mentally here. Now, speaking of Sister Jean... Can you believe she turned 101 years old on Friday? I remember last year she turned 100 and they had this big celebration for her. It was great. Well, this year they had to do it over Zoom, unfortunately, because of COVID-19 and everything. But just want to wish Sister Jean a very happy, a little belated birthday. I shot an email day of, but happy birthday to Sister Jean. She turned 101 and that's how we're going to start the show today. Welcome into the Sunday Sports Shootout here on 88.7 FM WLUW. Chicago Sound Alliance, I'm your host, Nick Schultz, here with you for the next 55 minutes. Radio's Golden Hour ran a little over, but that's okay, because I'm still going to fill this time, because we have a ton to talk about today. As I talked about in my tweet for my promo of the show in the morning, I don't have a guest book today, and I did that on purpose, because there is so much news to get to today. As you heard in the open, the Chicago Bulls are not picking 7th. In the NBA draft this year. It is so great. I celebrated way too much when I saw they weren't picking 7th. They had the number 4 overall pick. Who should they take in this draft? Which is scheduled for October right now. But it sounds like that's going to get pushed back. Because the season's going to be pushed back. But that doesn't mean we can't talk about who they can pick. And I'll have a lot to talk about on that. I've got 3 choices for them to pick. And I've got one top one. But I've got a couple others that I want to look at as well. Also, big baseball weekend. Cubs and White Sox facing off at Wrigley Field. White Sox look great. Seven wins in a row. Jose Abreu going nuts. Three home runs last night. Five in the two games. The Cubs do not look good at all. It's kind of scary looking at this because I remember talking, I think even last week and the week before, about how good the Cubs were looking. And now here they are facing the White Sox. And the offense is gone. John Lester got roughed up, and I'm not sure about some of the defensive mistakes that have been made as well. Chris Bryant is also hurt because he hurt his finger, so I got a lot of baseball talk to get to. Also, the Blackhawks season is over, came to an end against the Golden Knights at the hands of Robin Leonard last week. Now, now that the season's done, 
we need to look at. Should Jeremy Colleton still be the coach after this year? And you know my opinions on Stan Bowman as the GM. I already think he should be gone. But what should they do about Jeremy Colleton? I want to get to all that as well. We have Bears talk, considering I didn't get to it last week. And there's also news that came out yesterday. The Bears signed another kicker. Here we go again. Another kicker battle. Got a quarterback competition and a kicking competition, which is so much fun. So here we go again with that. I'm going to have a lot on that. Also, big news on the college scene. DePaul has a new athletic director that will be announced tomorrow, Monday. Lawrence Kramer at the DePaul, all over this story. I'll talk about who they're hiring and what it could mean for the men's basketball program because this is a big men's basketball hire that DePaul is making. And finally, on a national scale, Fernando Tetis Jr. has been all over the news this week because he hit that grand slam and supposedly broke an unwritten rule. And I've been pretty quiet on Twitter about it, mainly because I've been working at the country club again, working 6.30 to 1.30, four days a week. That was a lot of fun this week. I kind of fell out of the loop on stuff. But I followed that Fernando Tatis story from start to finish, kept quiet for this very moment, because I'm going to talk about everything surrounding that situation, the unwritten rule that may or may not have been broken, and what else he might have done wrong during that game. And speaking of Fernando Tatis Jr., I have a take that's going to spin up probably a couple listeners, and I haven't really talked about this much anywhere. The Fernando Tatis Jr. for James Shields trade that the White Sox made in 2016. Is it worse than Quintana for Eloy Jimenez and Dylan Cease between the Cubs and the White Sox? I think there's a case to be made there. I'm going to do it. I'm going to dive into that in full later on in the show. So as you see, so much to talk about today. That's why I didn't book a guest. Because I wanted to get to all of this and I wanted you to hear it from me. Normally, I would say, give me a call to chime in. But because we're working remote, I can't take calls. So if you have thoughts, and I know at least one of the listeners will on that Fernando Tatis Jr. take, shoot me a tweet at Nick Schultz underscore seven. I will read your tweets, any and all, on the air, assuming the language is good. And that can help filter the discussion and help keep things moving here. But there's a lot to get to. And again, I want to hear from you. And if you don't follow me on Twitter, please do. So let's get to the lead for this week. Because... I could talk about the Cubs and the Sox all day because baseball is my sport. But the big news that came out of the last week is the Chicago Bulls are picking fourth in the NBA draft. It's their highest pick since they drafted number one and they took some kid named Derrick Rose. And seeing them not pick seventh was a burst of energy. That's why I put that clip of Arturis Karnaschovas meeting the media after the lottery That was courtesy of the Chicago Bulls on YouTube, by the way. I put that clip in there because it meant so much that the Bulls are not picking 7th. And I made it a joke. And all week I kept saying, I've got to watch the lottery because I've got to see the Bulls pick 7th again. Because they picked 7th the last few years. And it's just frustrating because, granted, yes, it was Lowry Marketing, Wendell Carter Jr., and Kobe White. They weren't bad picks necessarily. But picking seventh three years in a row, it just it's frustrating. So now that they're in the top four, and this is the of all the drafts to be in the top four, this is it. This is the draft to be in the top four because you've got a lot of choices here. And I'm going to dive into the draft now 
And here's the three choices I could see. Now, let's look at who's picking first, second, and third. The NBA draft order for 2020. The Minnesota Timberwolves got the number one overall pick. I honestly thought the Golden State Warriors were going to. But they're picking second because the Timberwolves are first. And then the Charlotte Hornets are picking third and the Bulls are fourth. Can we also appreciate that the Knicks are picking eighth? I just find that really funny that the Knicks are picking eighth. And I, have, I haven't heard what Stephen A. Smith said about it. Because I know it was going to be funny. And i got to watch it. I promise I will. But the Knicks are picking 8th. Detroit is in 7th. Atlanta picking 6th. Cleveland picking 5th. So that's your order. But the big, the top 4 there is Minnesota, Golden State, Charlotte, and Chicago. Now, those top 3 picks. There are some names that are being tossed around for those top 3. And I think there could be some combination for those picks. Obviously, James Wiseman out of Memphis, big guy. He was the one who was, he kind of got into some eligibility muddy water with the NCAA and couldn't play. And that didn't have anything to do with his game. And he's got a ton of upside. So I really, I think James Wiseman could be a solid pick in this draft. LaMelo Ball is another pick to watch. Yes, the Ball family is back. Isn't it great? Yes, the... LaMelo Ball played in Australia, and he's a dynamic point guard. He can score. He's, he can facilitate. He, ideally, he'd be who the Bulls would want in this draft. But because they're picking fourth, I'm not entirely sure he's going to be there. But I'm going to get to him in a second. And you also want to watch for Anthony Edwards to go out of Georgia. Ultra-athletic point or shooting guard. I'm sorry, he's a shooting guard. He can score. And he would have been my ideal pick for the Bulls because then they don't need the true point guard. They can play positionless basketball. But there's no way he's going to be there at four. So Edwards and Wiseman are the two I'm entirely confident will not be there at four. So that leaves us with LaMelo Ball. And shout out to my guy Daniel Greenberg on Twitter at Chai Sport Updates on Twitter. He's all about putting out updates and anything he sees in the news, and anything that gets released, he tweets out there, and it helps keep us on top of things when we miss things, because I know I miss things. I got to tell you, I don't read every mock draft. I really, honestly, I'm not a big mock draft fan. I mean, it's easier now that the lottery's over for mock drafts, but I don't read all of them. I read, like, I read a few. I read The Athletic. I read The Sun-Times. I read NBC Sports Chicago. I'll read Bleacher Report. But Daniel was all over this, and he, Sports Illustrated is projecting the Bulls to take LaMelo Ball fourth overall. And if that happens, let me tell you, I'm going to be really happy. Because what the Bulls have been missing the last couple years, besides a competent coach, and Jim Boylan is now gone, as you heard on last week's episode, I'm still celebrating, believe me. And now that he's gone, all I need is a true point guard. With this roster. I love Kobe White. I really do. I, I love the kid. I love I love the hair. I love the personality. I love the talent. He's not a true point guard. And I feel like the Bulls tried to make him one. And failed. And then you saw him. 
jump into the starting lineup and turn into a scorer. And you saw what he could do. He's more of a combo shooting guard. I don't think he's a true point guard. The Bulls also have Tomas Sadoransky, who kind of underwhelmed this year. He, he was hyped up before the year, and you thought he was going to take over the point guard position, maybe mentor Kobe, help him turn into that true point guard. And I don't know. He disappointed me. So those are your two right there. Now you can get LaMelo Ball at fourth. According to Sports Illustrated, he'd still be there. And, I mean, I'd love for that to happen. Like, trust me, the Bulls need a true point guard. But I really honestly don't see LaMelo Ball being there at fourth. Because I I think... One of Minnesota or Charlotte will take him. And Golden State, will, I, I don't think Golden State will because they, I, they still have a point guard, some guy named Steph Curry. But one route they could go if they really wanted to was draft LaMelo, have him learn under Steph, and then become their point guard of the future. But I, I don't see that happening. So I could see either Minnesota or Charlotte taking LaMelo Ball. And I saw I do have to say, I saw a meme as I'm on Twitter, I love I love the Twitter memes, they crack me up. And someone put a meme together of why Charlotte will not take LaMelo. And it was a picture of LaVar Ball talking about how he could beat Michael Jordan one on one. And Michael Jordan from the last chance that they're going, and I took that personally. And that's why people think Charlotte won't take LaMelo. And that just absolutely cracked me up. But if, if he falls to number four, I think the Bulls should absolutely take him. Even with the baggage of LaVar, I know he's a loud mouth. He's obnoxious. He, he's all about working the media to get his kid's name out there. I get it. You saw that with Lonzo. I mean, you, I, I remember vividly the clip of him on first take saying that Lonzo could be better than Magic Johnson. And Stephen A. went nuts, naturally. But I honestly and truly think LaMelo could be a good fit for the Bulls. Is it... I mean, it, it filled the need and you got a solid player. Yes, there's baggage there. And he's still got room to grow. All of these guys. I mean, they're in the draft. They got room to grow. So I could see LaMelo. That's a, but that's only one mock draft I've seen that has LaMelo to the Bulls. Everyone else has him going top three, which I think is more likely. And the other thing we have to consider here, before I get to my next two choices, is the Bulls don't have a head coach right now. And, it's, I mean, that's not a bad thing because, again, I, you, everyone who listens knows how much I absolutely loved Jim Boylan. But having a head coach there can kind of give you a sense of what the system could be. And in today's NBA, obviously, positionless basketball is huge. So that's why I think the true point guard wouldn't be a necessary, quote-unquote, need, like a desperate need. But if you had one, you could run a really strong offense, obviously. But if you want to go positionless, maybe look at a guy like, maybe even a Denny Adia is a name I heard thrown out a lot. Here's, 
he's actually, I've seen in the most mock drafts, Bleacher Report, NBC Sports, NBA.com, The Athletic, The Sun-Times. I have done a lot of research on this kid. And it's Denny Avdia, A-V-D-I-J-A. He's from Israel. 6'9 forward. He can play small forward or power forward. He's long. He's athletic. And I was having trouble finding stats because I like to look up stats and see what we're looking at here. But what I did find was from the FIBA International U20 tournament in 2019. This guy put up 18.4 points per game, 8.3 rebounds per game, and 5.3 assists per game. Those are Really good numbers. I like seeing those numbers. And I've seen him in a lot of mock drafts so far. And granted, at the small forward position, the Bulls do have a guy named Otto Porter Jr. Believe it or not, he's still on the team. I know he's been hurt for like 90% of his time in Chicago, it feels like. And he finally was coming back before the COVID shutdown. But he's got one year left on his contract. And if I'm Arturis Karnaschovas... And Mark Eversley, I'm thinking about not renewing him, letting him go to free agency, make Denny Avdia your small forward of the future, or power forward of the future even. Because, you, I mean, yeah, you have Lowry Markkinen, but Lowry Markkinen's seven foot, so you probably want him at the power forward. You can make Avdia your small, for, small forward at 6'9". But I think he'd be a great pick. The other option I've seen, and this is, a, this is one that I'm kind of gravitating toward because I... Love mid-major basketball. And I've heard his name a lot this year. And ESPN, CBS, and the Sporting News all have Obi Toppin falling to number four and the Bulls taking him. Actually, I shouldn't say falling to number four. He's not going to be a top three pick. But having him at four, I really like Obi Toppin's game. I do. And again, it's because I've watched him a lot this year because I love mid-major basketball. And he was at Dayton. This year, and I'm I'm a I'm a United States Basketball Writers Association member, USBWA, and we there's votes for Player of the Year, and I had probably three things in the mail saying vote for Obi, vote for Obi. I got a really cool pen from Dayton that said vote for Obi on it, and I really think he's he's ultra talented, and I think he could be instant impact. But the problem if the Bulls take Obi Toppin. And granted, it's a new front office, so there's a lot to work with there. There's a lot of unknowns, and you can't really take the past into consideration that much. But would this be an indictment on Lowry Markkinen? Would they lose confidence in Lowry Markkinen by taking Obi Toppin? Now, Lowry had a down year this year. That's no secret. Actually, I'm even sugarcoating it. But I, want, I am sugarcoating it because I think it, part of the problem was Jim Boylan didn't know how to use Lowry. I think he thought Lowry was a unicorn in the wrong way. Lowry's a unicorn in that he's seven foot. He can shoot the three and he can rebound and he can, he can kind of do everything. But what Jim Boylan saw was give the ball to Zach every time. Kick the ball outside, have Lowry down low. And I, he didn't use him well. And I genuinely think that Lowry Markkinen would benefit from having a new coach who knows the modern game, who understands the modern game, and would use him effectively. It'd be one thing if Lowry didn't flourish under Fred Hoiberg. 
if Lowry was doing this, what he did this year, the last few years under Hoiberg as well, then you have some question marks. But the fact that Lowry was doing well under Fred, and then Jimbo came in, and he's struggling, that raises some red flags for me. And that could be me being a fan. I'm looking at it from a fan perspective. But I think if they take Obi Toppin, they have lost confidence in Lowry Market. And I'm not ready to say they have yet. Which is why my top choice in this draft is Denny Adia. I think he's going to be there at four. And granted, he's a little bit more unknown, at least in the States, because he didn't play college ball. And I know a lot of these mock drafts, they look at college ball. And, I mean, myself included, I never really started looking at the EuroLeague for the draft until a couple years ago. I would always look at the best college player available. And then the Bulls trade Jimmy Butler for Zach Levine and the number seven pick, and they draft this kid named Lowry Markkinen, who I'd never heard of. And I'm thinking it's super underwhelming. And I, I'll never forget it. I was, I was umpiring a baseball game during that draft. And... I even I was in between innings where I saw the alert. And I threw out on Facebook real quick. I'm like, who is this guy? And I think I had three comments saying, no, this is actually a good pick. Because, I mean, it was, it was again, the, it's the seventh pick. But you, you look at Lowry, what he did in Europe and in Arizona. And that's when you're like, okay, I actually, I get this now. Because Lowry did go to Arizona, but no one had ever really heard of him. It seemed like. At least I didn't at the time. But then again, I also wasn't really as in tune with the draft as I am now. Because I never really paid attention to the draft before. I mean, I never really had to. That was, to give you an idea, that was summer after my freshman year at Loyola. And before that, I never really paid that close attention to the draft. I wasn't as into the Bulls as I am now. Because that was kind of the Dark Ages after D. Rose got hurt and everything. And I kind of was in and out of the Bulls. Now I'm more in tune, obviously. I've talked about him on the show the last four weeks. One week I'm talking about Jim Boylan possibly staying the coach. The next week I'm celebrating his firing. But I really think the EuroLeague guys are underrated. On, on multiple fronts. Like, you, you hear these guys, they talk about, oh, they, go get Cole Anthony. Like, no, you're not taking Cole Anthony fourth overall because you need a true point guard. You don't, you heard, you heard in the open, you don't necessarily look to fill a need at number four. You get the best available. And that can change the trajectory of a rebuild. Because the Bulls are still, I think the rebuild started over this year. Now that John Paxson's gone, Gar Foreman's gone, Jim Boylan's gone. The front office is modernized. You got a fresh face in Arturis Karnaschovas. You got a fresh face in Mark Eversley. I'm starting the rebuild over. Because I'm done hearing, oh, Derek got hurt and it threw off our rebuild. Oh, Derek got hurt. I don't want to hear that crap anymore. Because John and Gar are gone. Now you've got AK and Eversley. So I'm setting the clock back to zero. This rebuild can start over. In my eyes. They can keep the same pieces. I'm going to say the rebuild started over. And I think Denny Adia is the type of guy you can market for a rebuild. Because you can eventually build around the small forward position. And I'm not saying get rid of Zach Levine and Lowry Marketing. I really I really and truly think those two are very talented. And I think you could have a good three-headed monster there with Zach, Lowry, and Denny Abdiya. But I would understand why the Bulls would go another route. 
I don't, I mean, I would agree with it. Because I think Abdiya is your top choice at number four. And again, this is assuming LaMelo Ball doesn't go in the top three. Or assuming he does go in the top three. If he doesn't, you take him number four. Because at that point, you're not only getting the best player available at the time, but you're getting a, you're filling a need. And will this will be the picture for the draft will so be so much clearer once the Bulls get a coach. And if you go back to last week's show and you can check out the podcast, Apple, Spotify, I talked to Rob Schaefer about some head coaching candidates. And the, the two names that we're saying are our top two. He likes Kenny Atkinson. I like Wes Unsell Jr. And both of those guys understand how the game is now. So that would help impact things. And I really that's why I really and truly think Denny Abdia needs to be your choice. And if you if you agree with me, disagree with me, shoot me a tweet at Nick Schultz underscore seven on Twitter, and I'll I'll read them. Like I, I love disagreeing with people, and that that's the nature of what, of what we do in sports radio is we disagree because it makes for great discussion. And that's that was one thing that's what made last week's interview with Rob from NBC Sports Chicago so great is that we disagreed on the coaching candidates. Granted, it's early. We did the interview probably thirty six hours after Jim Boylan was fired, but the fact that we disagreed was awesome because it makes for good discussions and you can see the other side of things and it can help it can help make your decision that much clearer. And that's why I mean I feel like I'm with this is the first time I've really jumped on a draft pick right away. Cause even even a couple of years ago I was back and forth. Last year I was back and forth on what they should do at seven because seven was so awkward. Now that they're at four they got a lot at their disposal, the Bulls do. And that's, that's why I'm, I'm locked in on Denny Adia right now. And granted, again, the draft, as, as, of, as we sit here right now, is scheduled for October, if, I'm, if I've got this right. I'm pulling it up on my computer right now. October 16th is the scheduled draft day right now. Adam Silver, during the lottery, brought up how, with COVID-19 still going, they might push back the start of the next season. And I've seen reports that this could also mean that the draft could get postponed. So we're looking at this now on August 23rd for a draft that could be much later. And I love that it's making for great talking points for possibly a little longer because, I mean... It is so, it's so fun to talk about. And I, I think the Bulls are in a great position right now. And it's so weird to say because I'm so used to, oh, God, they're picking seventh again. They're picking seventh. Are you kidding me? They're picking seventh. What are they going to do at seventh? They can't do anything down there. Now they're four. You got a top four pick in this draft? I don't know what Arturis Karnaschovas brought for that lottery because he was the Bulls representative during that lottery. But he needs to keep that keep that good luck with him all the time. Because this is exciting. I'm so excited about Bulls basketball again. It's so crazy to think about. 
want to remind you, you're listening to the Sunday Sports Shootout here on 88.7 FM, WLUW, Chicago Sound Alliance. I'm Nick Schultz. If you want to chime in on a discussion, shoot me a tweet at Nick Schultz underscore seven on Twitter. I can't take calls because we're working remote. And I guess I can say this now because the new, the, it, the next semester starts tomorrow. So the new round of shows starts tomorrow. Shows this semester are remote. We will not be allowed back in the studio this semester. So no calls until further notice. So until then, follow me on Twitter and tweet at me with anything you want to chime in with because I can't take calls. And yeah, the new round of show starts tomorrow. I still got the same time slot, 11 to noon every Sunday right here. And I'm looking forward to being back for another semester, barring the job search because I'm still looking for what I call a quote-unquote big boy job, which if anyone's looking for a sports reporter or a sports radio host, call your boy. But I digress. I do have a couple texts I want to get to from Daryl Horwitz, who used to co-host the show with me back in the day, a couple years ago. Thanks for still listening, Daryl. I appreciate you. And Daryl says he thinks LaMelo's going to go to Charlotte because they would be insane to pass on him as they need a focal point and someone to generate excitement. Assuming he's gone, they should take Denny and he could be the point forward. He's not a finished product, but I think he has the most promise and fits a need for the Bulls. A power forward is not a position that helps the team much. You need a player that handles the ball to improve your team. And I think that's supposed to be no offense to Okoro, who is offensively challenged, not at four. Or it's no Decoro, who is offensively challenged, not at four. Yeah, I'm not even considering Okoro at this point because I'm. you don't want that offensively challenged guy at number four. I agree with you wholeheartedly there, Daryl. And that's why I think Denny is the top choice. He's got offense, he's got the defense. And I think he could really, especially one year as I'm, I, call, I like to call the backup guys the quote-unquote understudies, and being Otto Porter's quote-unquote understudy would allow him to kind of adjust to the NBA game. And even if Otto gets hurt, he can fit in just fine and be like Kobe White did and learn on the fly. And I really think that's who the Bulls need to take. I'm all in. Like I got all my chips here. I'm like James Holtzauer on Jeopardy. I am all in on Denny Adia. And that's how you pronounce it. I found that out this morning. Adia. It's a lot of hype around the Bulls. It's, I'm, I'm really excited. We're going to talk about it every week now. There's going to be some type of Bulls discussion, I'm sure, leading up to the draft, whatever the draft may be. And I might also look into some of the other picks, too, just for fun. Why not? I got an hour here. I got an hour here every Sunday. Maybe as well. I'm going to move on from NBA because I got a lot of baseball thoughts as well, both locally and nationally. Because Cubs Sox is this weekend. And it's going really well for the White Sox. But not very well for the Cubs. So the White Sox won game one. I mean, they, and they won big. Final score was, I'm pretty sure it was 10 to 1. Is that what the final score was? I think I turned it off. I quit. I was so frustrated at that point. And my dad's a... My dad's a White Sox fan, so I've been hearing about it nonstop from him. And last night's game was 7-4 White Sox, and Jose Abreu hit three home runs. It's five in two games. Jose Abreu has stopped in fuego. He's on fire. And Luis Robert is unreal. He's already a Crosstown Classic legend. I saw that on Twitter. 
hit another home run last night. Why they're throwing him anything to hit, I don't know. I would throw him anything good to hit. But Tim Anderson is still lights out from the leadoff spot. And I think that's where he should have been last year. And I talked about that at the time. Because I still don't think Ricky Renteria is the guy. And I think this series has shown this offense is lethal. And we said that at the beginning of the year. This offense, we said, was going to be lights out. This is with Yohan Moncada in and out of the lineup because Ricky likes to give him a rest. Which, topic for another time. But Nate Madrigal is also out of this lineup. He doesn't have the pop, but he's a great hitter because he's hurt. And this, this offense is really, really fun to watch. Unless you're a Cubs fan this weekend and then you're sitting here cussing at the TV. And the Cubs pitching, obviously, John Lester roughed up in Game 1. Like, that was, a, that was not a good showing from John Lester in Game 1 of this series. And people are already on the jumping on about the Lester regression. Here we go. He's not what he used to be. Maybe that's the case. But with this lineup, you have a, even a little bit of a bad night. They're going to make you pay for it. And Kyle Hendricks, I thought, pitched well last night. He didn't pitch like lights out, but he didn't pitch bad. I thought he did fine. But where's the offense gone? I don't understand what's going on with the Cubs' offense. Because I'm seeing, I'm having flashbacks here to last year when the offense was non-existent. But one, one interesting note is that Chris Bryant is hurt. Chris Bryant hurt his finger. He's on the injured list, retroactive to the 19th. And he's been out of the leadoff spot, easy for me to say. Might need another cup of coffee after all. But with with Chris Bryant out of the leadoff spot, I know his batting average isn't there. He's not getting a base hit every time. But, and I've said this before, and I'm going to say it again. I like that Chris Bryant works the count. He sees a lot of pitches. And he he makes the pitchers work to get him out. Sure, the numbers aren't exactly all there. But I think there's something to be said about having a guy like Chris Bryant who can effectively work the count in the leadoff spot and get the pitcher working and then have your... Anthony Rizzo, Javi Baez, Wilson Contreras, Kyle Schwarber. Yeah, sure, KB is not the player he was when he won the MVP. But I still think he's a solid leadoff hitter because, again, he sees a lot of pitches. So now, without him, you got Ian Happ at the top of the lineup, which I don't like that choice. But then again, who else are you going to put there? You could probably put Anthony Rizzo up there, the greatest leadoff hitter of all time. You probably could. It'd probably be better than Ian Happ. But with, with Happ up there, I it's not the same as having KB who can work the count. Ideally, you have a Tim Anderson who can get a leadoff home run or leadoff base hit damn near every time. But the Cubs don't have that prototypical leadoff hitter. And it's been a need since 2016. And here they are now in need of a leadoff hitter because theirs just went down. 
And he's not even the prototypical leadoff hitter. The Cubs are in their last few games. Where is what? I don't know what just happened here. I'm trying to pull up the schedule. There we go. MLB changed their website. So the Cubs have lost three of their last four. And Bryant went down on the injured list retroactive to the 19th. So you're seeing them, they're struggling big time. I mean, they were 12-3 and going into that series with the Brewers. And then lost three straight to them. Lost one to the Cardinals, then won two. Lost to the Cardinals again. Won the other end of that doubleheader. And then lost to the White Sox. So I think the, uh, the loss of Chris Bryant is bigger than people think. And I think once he gets back, the offense is going to be a little bit better. Because again, there's something to be said about a leadoff hitter who can make pitchers work. Does he necessarily get a hit every time? No. Is he a Tim Anderson or a Dexter Fowler? No. But if he makes the pitcher work hard enough, it's going gonna, it's gonna to have a lasting impact on the other hitters. And another thing about the Cubs, and this is, some, this is something I've been thinking about the last couple weeks, and I, I, just, I have to ask, why is Josh Fagley on the roster? Why is he getting big at-bats? I talked about that last week when David Ross put him up to bat in the bases loaded situation in the bottom of the eighth. And then last night I see him come in for Wilson Contreras in a one-run game. Because it was a one-run game at that point, I believe. And I'm just, why all of a sudden, I, I, I feel like Josh Fagley is the new Mark Zagunas. This guy on a minor league contract who's been around a while, who's suddenly getting a shot at the big leagues, and keeps getting these at-bats in big situations, and seeing a lot of time on the field, and he just, with nothing to show for it. His, his batting average going into last night was 071. And I don't understand why he's, why, why is he on this roster? He's not good. When he catches, he, I don't think he's good behind the plate defensively. I don't think he's good in the batter's box. I mean, as, as the kids say these days, I guess, it ain't it, Chief. Chief called. It ain't it. And it's, it's been bothering me. And I tried to keep that off social media because I don't want to rip the guy like over and over and over again. But I just, I don't understand the reasoning for Josh Fagley. But I don't know. That's, that was just something I just wanted to, to ask and see what everyone thought. Make sure I'm not alone in that regard. But because it's Cubs Sox weekend, you hear a lot about the infamous trade for Jose Quintana, for Aloy Jimenez, and Dylan Cease. I mean, you hear, about a lot, you hear a lot about that trade anyway. But if you look around Major League Baseball this week, I brought up Fernando Tatis Jr. And Fernando Tatis is one of the probably the most exciting player in the game right now. And that's just because he's going nuts. I mean, he's got a 304 batting average with 12 home runs already. He's league leader in home runs. And the kid's 21 years old. He's a year younger than me. Wow, that hurts. That hurts to think about. I just said that. That's the first time I've said that out loud. He's a year younger than me. I'm getting old. But anyway, back back on topic. He 
people are calling him the face of the league. And now all of a sudden, and you've heard, I brought this up last year at one point and people laughed at me. Can we please talk about the trade for that the White Sox made that traded Fernando Tatis Jr. to the Padres for James Shields? Can we talk about that trade a little more? I mean, everybody's quick to jump on. Oh, Quintana for Aloy and Cease. Aloy does stuff against the Cubs. Hey, remember the Cubs traded Quintana for him. And I, or traded him for Quintana, whatever you want to spin it. I'm just, I, I'm still mind blown that we don't hear about the Shields for Tatis trade very much. We haven't until recently heard it very much. I mean, this guy, Fernando Tatis Jr., is being called the face of the league right now. And I just read you his stats. He's got a one... His OPS is over one. And James Shields isn't even in the league anymore. He hasn't pitched since 2018. I mean, my man went 16-35 and and a 531 ERA for the White Sox in two and a half years. Meanwhile, Fernando Tatis Jr. made his debut last year and now he's lighting up the league. You really want to tell me that Quintana for Jimenez and Cease was that much worse than this trade? No disrespect whatsoever to Aloy Jimenez and Dylan Cease. But I don't think they're the face of the league right now. Yes, Eloy Jimenez is very talented. But I also think his defense is, eh, is shaky. I, I talk to a lot, when I work at the country club, I deal with a lot of members who are Sox fans. and They're always talking about, one guy brought up how Eloy's defense is up there with Schwarber's. So yeah, defensively, Eloy is okay. The bat is there. And he, yeah, I mean, he's got a lot of pop. But I don't think he's the face of the league right now. And Dylan Cease is not there yet. I think part of that has to do with this pitching coach. I think Don Cooper is still too old school. I think it's time to move on. But I digress. He's not there yet to be the ace that he could be. So looking at that, and yes, Quintana has he's underperformed for the Cubs, but he hasn't been James Shields level bad. I mean, Quintana's better than 16 and 35 in two and a half years. Let me even pull up Quintana's stats here, just to prove my point. Because I just... It'd be one thing if, if James Shields was still in the league and he was maybe doing better. I would maybe see, but I just... That trade was not good, guys. And everyone, everyone's so quick to jump on, oh, Quintana for Aloy and Cease. It's not as bad as this trade was. Like, people forget how lopsided that was, how bad James Shields was for the White Sox. Jose Quintana for the Cubs since 2017. He is... 33 and 23 since joining the Cubs halfway through 2017 with a complete game in there. Jose Quintana 
won three less games in one year than James Shields did for the White Sox in two and a half. So is this kind of a hot take? Yeah. But people got to start thinking about just how bad that trade was, Tatis for Shields. And I know the White Sox have a shortstop in Tim Anderson. He's, I love Tim Anderson. He's one of my favorite players in the game. But you could have Fernando Tatis Jr. and Tim Anderson. Just think about that for a second. So, yes, I will argue that Shields for Tatis was worse than Quintana for Jimenez and Cease. You just heard my reasons why. Speaking of Fernando Tatis, he hit a grand slam this week. And usually when a guy hits a grand slam, it's, oh, cool, he hit a grand slam. You don't usually hear guys have to apologize afterward. Here's my read on that situation. If, if, if you missed it. Fernando Tatis Jr. had a 3-0 count in a blowout game and hit a grand slam. The Texas Rangers were whining and complaining that Tatis supposedly broke an unwritten rule. And that, oh, it's a blowout, don't swing 3-0. I disagree with that. That's not... That's not what you need to be looking at here. If the guy's got a pitch to hit on 3-0, and if he's got the green light, go ahead. I don't care what the score is. Now, what I, what I, what I also heard, and this is what his manager said, the take sign was on. That's an important factor here. He didn't break an unwritten rule. But if your manager gives you the take sign, you take the pitch. That's what, the, that's what you need to be looking at here with this situation. Don't be looking at unwritten rules. No unwritten rule was broken in this situation. You could, I guess you could call... Blowing off, if he did, a take sign, breaking an unwritten rule. But it's I'm, what I'm not sure about, did he blow it off or did he miss it? Those are two completely different perspectives. Because if he missed the take sign, okay, he's 21 years old, he's young in the league, don't do it again. If he blew off the take sign, then you have an issue. And then the manager has a reason to be upset. And I know people were ripping the Padres manager for not backing up Tatis. But they were looking at it from the perspective that he supposedly broke an unwritten rule in that he swung 3-0 in a blowout game and hit a grand slam. He did nothing wrong in that regard. I know all the old school baseball guys are going to disagree with me, but you know what? The game's changing. You get a pitch to hit on 3-0, I don't care what the score is. If you, got, if you had the green light, go for it. But if you don't have the green light and swing and miss, or, and, and hit a grand slam, you got to be prepared to face the consequences. Because my high school coach used to tell me, if I give you the take sign on 3-0 and you hit a walk-off home run, you're, you're sitting the bench next game. 
That's what this should be about. Did he miss the take sign? Did he blow off the take sign? That's the tree people should be barking up right now. And this was early in the week. People are still talking about this. And the Padres hit a grand slam in four games in a row. Like, that's impressive. But Tatis's grand slam got the most looks because the old school baseball guys were laying the hammer down. And I don't think they should have. I only got about nine minutes left here. And <laughs> I've only talked NBA and baseball. I haven't even gotten to the Blackhawks yet. But before I get to the Blackhawks and the Bears, because that's going to be more long form, I do want to, I mean, I do have to talk about that Paul has a new AD. And again, shout out to my guy Lawrence Kramer at the DePaulia, man. He has been breaking news on this left and right. And he tweeted this the other day. Breaking, source confirms to the DePaulia that DePaul and Dwayne Peavy have finalized terms for Peavy to become DePaul's next athletic director. Official announcement coming early next week. And the Tribune has confirmed that the announcement is coming Monday, tomorrow. I really like that hire. Because Dwayne Peavy worked real close with the basketball team at a little school called University of Kentucky. That's a pretty good team. Last time I checked. Now, I know people are kind of ripping this choice because he's an outside guy. Like outside Chicago, outside. But I think that's actually going to help him because then he can... He seems like the kind of guy who can learn the landscape of the city quick. And I think DePaul made the right move by going... Obviously, they needed to go outside. And we, I said that at the time. I did an interview with Lawrence for my, for my podcast, for my blog at Off the Inbound. And we both agreed. They needed to go outside. They stayed in-house. Something was wrong. They're not doing this the right way. But the fact that they went outside into a basketball powerhouse in Kentucky... I really, really like that choice. And again, the introduction's tomorrow on Monday, and I'm going to keep an eye on it, and I'll probably have more on it next week. But I did want to, I did want to talk about that because this is going to have big implications for the men's basketball program. And if I'm Dwayne Peavy, I get in the door. Say, I, say he starts September 1. September 2, I'm sitting Dave Lado down going, Dave, we appreciate your contributions to DePaul. But we're going a different direction. And I think that needs to be the first thing he does is get rid of Dave Lato as basketball coach and get that program back on track. Because this is not good. And if you remember, I wrote a column back in December crowning DePaul the king of Chicago College basketball because I got off to such a great start. Well, I think they won two games after that column, and one of them was in the Big East tournament. So DePaul basketball is not in a good spot right now, but with Dwayne Peavy coming in, I think it could be. And again, I'll have much more on that next weekend, obviously, on the Twitter sphere, etc., etc. The Blackhawks season is over at the hands of Robin Leonard and my guy Ben Pope, who I had on a couple weeks ago over at the Chicago Sun-Times called this the season of Leonard because Leonard was a star for the Hawks and then ended the Hawks season after they traded him, which I still disagree with. 
But now that the season's over, we need to seriously start talking about whether Jeremy Colleton should come back as the Hawks coach. I don't think he should. I think he's in over his head. And I some of the lineup decisions, why is he putting John Quinville in there in game four when Alex Nylander was out? Why that decision? I don't understand. There's, and that was just one of the many. And I have more I could get to, but I'm running out of time. But no, the answer is Jeremy Calton should not be back next year. Neither should Stan Bowman, but that's not going to happen. Also, before I go, do we have another kicking competition on our hands? If we do, this is the content we deserve. This is not the content we need, it's the content we deserve. Because Matt Nagy yesterday gave a non-answer answer about how Eddie Pinheiro was doing in, the, in training camp, the starting up at Hallis Hall. And then we get the tweet from Adam Schefter saying, the Bears are signing kicker Cairo Santos. Anyone remember the name Cairo Santos? I do. It's because he kicked for the Bears in 2017 and got hurt, so they released him. Now he's back. And it, I haven't heard anything more on Eddie Pinheiro. But from the looks of this right now, we have a kicking competition again. Let us not distract from the fact that we have a quarterback competition going on as well. Between Mitch Trubisky and Nick Foles. And supposedly Mitch is having good practices. And I forget who it was tweeted yesterday. I'd pull it up, but again, I've got a little more than three minutes left here. But apparently Mitch looked marginally better, quote-unquote, than Nick Foles yesterday. I'm not entirely sure Mitch is going to win that competition. But then again, Brian Pace probably won't be able to admit he's wrong. So who knows what's going to happen. But we got a quarterback competition and a kicking competition going on before the season starts next month. It's supposed to start next month. We don't know what's going to happen with some of these seasons with COVID-19 still going on. I mean, the fact that the NBA is talking about delaying their season isn't a good... It's not a good omen. That's what I'm looking for. But I I think the NFL is going to have some sort of season because they just got enough of a stranglehold on Sundays and they got all the money. But I'm not sure how it's going to look. We already have no preseason. But after that, not quite sure what's going to happen. But we got a kicking competition. This content. Woohoo! And it's, I feel like this is just Ryan Pace again. Last year, they worried so much about the damn kicker because of the double doink, which still breaks my heart to think about. Don't get me wrong. But there was this huge kicking competition. And then all of a sudden, Mitch Trubisky didn't look good after all the MVP hype. But now that he's got competition there, hopefully we'll see a little more attention on the quarterback. But I, I also, Cairo Santos again. It'd be one thing if this was bringing back Robbie Gold or something. But Cairo Santos... Whatever. 
as, as long as it doesn't come down to either Eddie Pinheiro or Cairo Santos's leg in games, do whatever you want. But I'm, I'm sick of hearing about the kicker position. I want to hear about the quarterback. I want to hear that Mitch is taking a leap. I want to hear that Nick Foles is doing well. I want to hear something good out of the quarterback competition. And it is tough because the Bears are limiting media. Because of COVID-19 and everything. They're limiting media practices. But from what I've heard, this is a legit competition right now. And something to definitely keep an eye on here before the season starts. And I've got about 25 seconds left here. So thank you for listening to me rant for an hour. I think I covered everything I wanted to. And we're going to have a lot of Bulls talk with the draft the next few weeks. Probably going to have some guests on to analyze some of these potential picks. We'll have a lot of baseball talk, obviously some Bears talk. I'll probably end up having a guest next week, assuming it's not another heavy news week. So stay tuned to my Twitter for that. But until then, that's it for now. And I will see you back here next Sunday on the Sunday Sports Shootout at 88.7 FM. WOW, have a great week, everybody.